Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Warren Ingram is a personal financial advisor. He is the chief chief executive. He is not. He's very important, though. He's incredibly important. I'm just so used to talking to chief executives. Occasionally, give the little people a turn. Uh, Warren is an executive director at Galileo Capital. Are you still there? I am. Okay, just checking. (laughs) After that abuse. Um, Good. (laughs) The bad. The ugly. I mean, is there even a neutral when it comes to to debt? I, yeah, not all debt is bad. Some debt is good, uh, but all debt should be paid off as quickly as possible. Talk to me about this 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 debt gremlin, if you like. So, I think it's it's probably the the question I answer most when I talk to groups of people uh, about money. You know, and and somewhere along the line, they'll say it's all good and well that you talk about investing. And, you know, my, my problem is not investing. My problem is that I, I have a, a debt a debt issue and I can't solve the debt problem. So, I, what what else should I be doing? You know, with, with my investments then, and and so it's it's probably you know I I would say you know from from the the, the survey of of Warren Ingram's uh, kind of experience rather than some some you know marketing company doing a survey. I, I think it's possibly the biggest issue that we face in in the whole personal finance space. And and it's true that you know any textbook uh, on financial planning will tell you that you know you need to be debt free and you, you know you need to build up your savings and and you know get going. But but the reality is that for for most of us and especially the, those of us who whose you know parents maybe weren't in the formal savings sector in in their lifetime, uh, you know that we we don't get to start working life without having to to get into debt. And, and so I guess it's, it's just to understand this, this, this debt animal and more importantly, how to ride it and how to benefit from it and, and then how to get it out of your life before it eats you. Uh, and, and so I think in, in this context, understanding that there may be three kinds of debt, you know, the, the bulk of us, uh, if we're going to buy our home one day, uh, and, you know, we, we don't do that with cash. You know, unfortunately, you know, unless you marry rich or you win the lotto, the, the reality is you're going you're gonna to get a bond from a bank and you're, you're going to have debt. Uh, and that's okay. I, I think t- just to understand for me, that, that would be called good debt because what, what's happening is you're buying uh, uh, an asset. So you're buying something that over time should grow in, in, in price by, by at least the rate of inflation, hopefully better, but, but at least by the rate of inflation over a long period of time. So, so you're not buying something that's going to go backwards in value or actually have no value. And so as long as your bond is affordable and, and you can carry the costs of the mortgage, the, the insurances of the house and all the other things that you need to do, uh, you know, then I would say owning, owning your, your home via debt is a good thing. However, that doesn't mean that you take all 20 years to pay off the bond. You've got to pay it off faster still. Make sure that you, you, know, you don't pay it off at the, at the slowest rate possible. So, so that can be good debt. And Sorry. No, no, carry on. And then I think uh, you know to make uh, to make Pavla happy, uh, you, you can you can argue that you know taking on debt to 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 buy or, or or taking on debt inside your business or taking on debt to buy a business that's going to grow in value over time as well w- would be good debt. So so I think there there is an argument for that where you take on debt to buy income generating assets as well. Uh, there are a whole lot of risks and a whole lot of uh, warnings that you need to be careful of, of you know, just, just buying on a promise and all of those things. So do your homework, but, but there, there is the possibility that, you know, that that's a good thing to do.
So I, then, I love I, I, I love credit cards. I love credit cards. Can we move on to the good stuff? Uh, I think credit cards are the most awesome personal fin finance tool ever invented. Discuss. <laughs> so and and and, uh, and and never a less true word was spoken on on <laughs> on live radio anywhere in the world by by Bruce Whitfield. Uh, so so um, the the credit card debt is is to me um, a weapon I didn't of wealth say destruction. Debt was good. Yeah. I didn't say debt was good. I said the credit card no, no. is a wonderful tool. Um, do you disagree with the fact that it's a wonderful tool or um, are you just so paranoid of the fact that most people struggle to manage that credit um, that actually it's, it becomes a weapon of financial self-destruction? So, so I think it's um, uh, um, in, a, in a country that in, in, in all honesty is addicted to debt uh, to, to give people an easy way to access even more debt and to spend money at any time, 24 hours a day, you know, on their phone, uh, you know, going out one day when they can go out again, you know, online shopping, all of that. And, and, and the credit card, or, or maybe nowadays the, the, the debit card as well, but, but the credit card in particular uh, is, is the great facilitator of all of that. And, and, and it's amazing that the moment you start working and the bank sees that you, you, you're starting to generate some, some income, they will offer you a credit card and then they will offer you, I, I get offers on my app, on my banking app every now and then saying, you know, just click here if you want to increase your debt. So, so the answer is that, that credit cards as a tool may be good for, for five out of every hundred people. For the other 95, it's a weapon of wealth destruction and you're, you're kind of giving people who are addicted to debt access to even more debt. To, to me, it's it's kind of an uh, close to financial evil as you can get, and and you know, I mean, I don't want to be in a uh, kind of paternalistic about it, but I just think it's one of those things where we should make it hard for people to get credit card debt, and and you you should get it on on a behaviour issue. The way you deal with debt, you, you it should be the reason why you're able to take on more, not because you earn more. You see, now, banks like bad payers because uh, the, the, the secrets of, of credit cards, things like if you don't pay off your balance each and every single month in full, you pay interest on the whole outstanding balance before you paid off a small percentage of it. Um, you're encouraged to pay off just a little bit and to roll the credit over month after month after month. Take as long as you need, as long as the interest payments come in. And I don't know how high they are. I'm sure they're much lower today than they used to be. But still, they're much it's one of the most expensive forms of debt that you can get. Um, the banks don't want you to be responsible with the credit. They hate me as a credit card user because I pay it off in full every month. I don't spend too much on it. And the little bit that I do spend in order that I can participate in a rewards program and, and, and get other benefits as well. Um, I, I like it from that respect. But unless you have self-discipline, um, credit cards are deadly tools um, when it comes to, to money. I think, it, you know, like we are all supposed to, um, you know, go through a, a learning experience and an education experience and then a test to be able to drive on the roads. Uh, you, you know, something similar should happen w with with access to credit cards. We we should be we should go through an education exercise, all of us, standardised, not by the banks, where, where we're taught about this. We're taught about what budget and straight is, uh, and and then you know then let's 
let, let's talk about uh, you know the t the tool. I agree with you. The, the, the five out of out of every hundred people that 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 understand credit cards and manage them incredibly well, they, they find them incredibly convenient. That they, they they don't you know they they don't spend the money on a monthly basis of their own. They use the bank's money. You know, they, so, so they essentially go into debt for the twenty nine days and make sure that they're always paid up and and clear. And and for them, they're doing incredibly well. But as a social good in our country. I think uh, credit cards are a great evil. I'm, I'm afraid to say. No, no, I, I appreciate your perspective on it, and I think um, that the way in which people use the, the cards is the problem. And I, I think that that lack of education and the fact that the bank relishes the fact that you are not using this efficiently for your benefit, but for theirs is deeply problematic. Um, Short-term loans. Uh, we, we hear about the, the power of microfinance to change lives, and we hear about Grameen Bank in Bangladesh. Um, and we spoke to the guy who founded Grameen Bank, and he remains adamant that, you know, micro-lending, uh, again, depending on how you use the loan, if you're using your micro-loan every month to buy clothes and, and food, um, then you've got a problem. Uh, but if you're using your micro-loan to educate kids or to uh, fund the starting up of a, of a micro-enterprise, well, you know, you're adding value. You'd, you're probably, you know, doing the right thing with microfinance. A lot of people get sucked into short-term loans in South Africa. And again, a bit like credit cards, struggle to pay them back. Exactly right. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, the, it's, it's what you're using it for that, that really counts. And, and so, you know, if, if I wanted to solve South Africa's issue around behavior, around uh, um, the, these kinds of loans, I, I would say that you, you only issue micro loans to stock files run by women. And the women decide who gets the loan, and and they and they hold each other to account. So so when you've got positive social peer pressure, w w watch how things go. And that's what that was the secret to Grameen Bank, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. it wasn't just you know issued the loans to anybody. It was actually it ended up being primarily to 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 women who started micro enterprises. And and so I think you know um, history shows us women are far better with with money than men. Uh, and and so you know we, we again you know let, let's use our history as a country. Stockfiles is a South African thing, and we should use it, uh, and that would work. But of course, that won't make the banks lots of money, uh, but but would be a great way. You know, minister of small business in South Africa, if you're doing your job, if you want to kind of get a tip, here it is, uh, and and so that would be a way to start micro enterprises and make the communities. Uh, uh, responsible for this because they, they will manage it and they will self-regulate the bad payers and make sure that they're doing things for the right reasons, spending the money in the right way. For the rest of us, personal loans, overdrafts, microloans, uh, terrible. Another weapon of wealth destruction. Please don't use it to buy things like clothes that have no value the day after you buy them and don't buy your holiday on credit. All of those things are, are, are really awful ways to, to spend money. You know, you, you need to borrow money to, uh, only for, for, for something that's going to grow in value or it's going to help you generate an income. So bar borrow money to buy a car because you, needed, you need your car to get a job. Great. But buy a secondhand car. Don't go and buy the most expensive car. That, you know, th th then I think that's good. You know, that's neutral debt uh, at best. And, and then, as I say, to borrow money to buy a house, by, by all means, as long as it's affordable. Credit cards, I, I think we could ban them and, and, um, and, and the country would probably be better off.
Sure. Uh, thank you, Warren. Um, I respect your view. Uh, your email from Kim this evening says, Warren, I've got a few investments I manage on my own. My strategy has been to buy funds from a few different managers to make up my portfolio. The logic behind my strategy is to diversify between different investment managers, but I'm not sure how many funds I should have in my portfolio, and I'm worried that I'll make my life complicated in the future. What do you think about the strategy, and is there a way I can make my portfolio easier to manage. We like Kim very much and we're going to talk to Kim about her strategy in a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. So Kim has heard Warren often talk about diversification. So Kim has done diversification her way, which is to buy probably too many unit trusts or investment funds managed by multiple asset managers in multiple companies. Is that the diversification that you talk about, Warren? Uh, the, not really. And my, my reason is that if we're talking about, you know, buying South African unit trusts, let's just talk about stock market unit trusts and, 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 and they're generally going to be called general equity funds. Now, when you buy a general equity fund, what you're telling the fund managers, you can buy, uh, you know, a range of shares, but you can only buy shares on the, on the JSE and, and potentially 30% of the money can be used to, to buy global shares. Now, now that's that's not a bad idea to buy to buy shares. I think you know it's, it's your best asset class. But but the issue is that in South Africa, we probably only really have about eighty, and and, and that's at a push. Eighty shares, more likely sixty shares, that large unit trusts can buy that that will actually make a material difference to growing their, their portfolio. The rest of the the number of shares on the JSE are just far too small for. The, the, the unit trusts to buy, or if they do buy them, they can only buy such a small percentage that it actually makes no difference to the portfolio. So if you buy five different funds from five different fund managers, the likelihood is that the, that you're buying actually a very, very expensive index because the reality is that one manager will be buying Anglos as a, as a share and another manager will be saying, hang on, I, I think Anglos has done you know, too well for too long, I'm going to sell Anglos. So, so you, you end up owning Anglos irrespective of, of, of the diversification view that you might have because there are just so few shares available on the JSE for fund managers to buy. So unfortunately, you're actually not getting a lot of diversification if you buy too many general equity funds in South Africa. My view is uh, if you want diversification, then, then maybe you buy one general equity fund and you buy the index, you know, the, the, the index that tracks the South African stock market because then you're going to get the performance of the index. What, whatever the markets do, you'll get that growth with half your money. And, and then you're paying a fund manager, one fund manager, uh, to, to get you performance that looks different to the stock market. And that's the important thing is you can't go and buy a general equity fund where the fund manager is so timid that actually all they're doing is they're buying you know, half a percent more of NASPARS or half a percent less of NASPARS than the index. That's called index hugging and they're wasting your time and your money. You, you've got to pay a fund manager to look completely different to the index. And then if you've got the index as well, you, you probably got fairly good diversification w w within your portfolio. But unfortunately, five funds in, or many funds in South Africa in the same type uh, is false diversification and just becomes monumentally expensive uh, index tracking. Thank you for that, Warren. I hadn't heard the term index hugging before. I'd never seen fund managers as warm and fuzzy and cuddly. And But yeah, I get the point. Uh, then I'd like to know from you a scientific, a, a, a scientific explanation on a term market 
sentiment. Today, for example, market sentiment wasn't happy. It wasn't good. It wasn't positive. And, and, and so, so market sentiment or um, otherwise um, called investor sentiment is, is exactly that. You're, you're talking about emotions. As you said, the market wasn't happy. Uh, and, and so what, it, what we're talking about here is the general sense that, that investors as a collective are, are, are feeling at the time. So, so for example, in, in, in the current environment, you know, the, when the stock market's taken a pounding, it's telling you that investors are, um, are worried about something. They're fearful about something. Uh, and and you know the same would apply when the stock market shoots up, you know, on a, on a particular day or even over you know a period of time, you know, six months or a year. I mean, investor sentiment can be very negative for a very long period of time or very positive. But but what you're looking at here is psychology, uh, and and what's important to note is that uh, it, it does work very much like the tide. You know, so when the tide is coming in. Uh, you, you know, it, it's pointless as as the small little investor to try and kind of row against the tide. The tide will just wash you wash you in. Or if the tide's going out, the tide will wash you out. So to understand the the kind of tone of the market or the sentiment of the market, the way that pe- the market in general is feeling, is valuable to investors uh, just for very short periods of time. So so over long periods of time, you can ignore market sentiment. But in the short term, if for example you wanted to 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 kind of buy something which which maybe is going down in price, it might be important just to understand what the sentiment is around that. If, if, if investors in general are really kind of negative about the share that you want to buy, it could be that you're buying it, let's say it went from 100 bucks to 50 bucks, and you decide that that's a great price, I'm going to buy it now. What, what could happen is you, you, might have, uh, you, know, you might have caught the falling piano, uh, and, and what happens is you get crashed because the, the price goes from 50 bucks to one buck, and, and then you lose most of your money. And, and so just be careful that when that investor sentiment is really strong um, and moving the market in a direction, uh, you, you can't go against that. And then it's better just to let that, that sentiment wash itself out. And, and that's what happens in general, uh, that, you know, that, this, you know, that we have these very strong senses of emotion and they push the markets for a period of time. And, and then it, it kind of mutes out and, and, and then you kind of get a, a better sense of what's going on. And so for investors in general, just to understand, markets can be horribly wrong over, over the short and medium term. So, so don't trust in, in investor sentiment as, as a very accurate guide of what's going to happen over a decade. All you know is that if investor sentiment is very strong right now, get out the way, let it sort itself out, and, the, and then make your investment decision. Warren Ingram from Galileo Capital. Thanks, Warren.